I remember getting the call that the show wasn't going to go this, this year and just feeling like, where am I? What did I just do? And what's going to happen now? Now I have no money and I have no show. I basically have to start all over again. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. So how are they doing it? Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. Hey everyone, it's Rebecca and we have a special episode of No Limits coming up today. I traveled to Los Angeles for today's interview with Issa Rae. She is the creator, co-writer and star of HBO's Insecure. It is now in its second season. She is also the founder of Issa Rae Productions. She is a New York Times best-selling author for her first book, The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl. The creator of multiple web series, including the hugely popular Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl. Her web content has over 23 million views. She went to Stanford and she's awesome. Issa Rae, welcome to No Limits. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you very much. There's so much success in your life right now. Uh, <laughs> I guess. Well, I, I, I'll tell you what I think. I think there's a lot of success in your life. HBO's Insecure. You are the creator. You are a co-writer. You are the star. And it's a massive hit in its second season now. Yeah, I'm really excited just about the the fact that people are receiving the show well. So yeah, I'm I'm happy. You should be. Thank I you. I mean, I'm not telling you how to be, but <laughs> uh, but I think there's a lot of good reason to be happy right now. And I think you know, I also just look back at your story. Mm. You're 10 years out of college, right? Yes, Stanford? our reunion is in October. Yes, that's gonna be an interesting <laughs> reunion for you. Uh, you'll probably be swarmed with people. Yeah, right. Everybody is doing pretty well from themselves. Like, and I see them all the time. It's really like a fake reunion <laughs> where like we just saw each other like last weekend and we're getting together. But um, that school definitely paved the way for you know what I'm able to do now. It's interesting. You studied African and African American studies. Uh-huh. Were you thinking at the time I want to translate this in some way to acting performance? I was thinking that I had the flexibility to do what I wanted. I think for me, I started off, you know, wanting to major in political science, and did took all the courses, but I just didn't want to be limited to that. And African American studies, you know, gave me the flexibility to write, to perform, to direct, and um, wasn't really thinking about whether or not my parents would approve at the time. And um, it really just, it really just opened my mind to the possibilities of other things that I could do. Speaking of your parents, so your dad is a pediatric doctor, originally from Senegal. Yes. Your mom is a teacher, originally from Louisiana. Yes. You were born here in L.A., I was. But you grew up in Potomac, Maryland. For, yes, for elementary school, and then came back here to live, to L.A. What was that like for you as a kid? Were you, were you the kind of kid who said, I want to perform, like, put me on a stage? No, you know, my elementary school teacher was, like, putting on um, a Midsummer Night's Dream and just out of the blue said, oh, these are the, the, these are the cast assignments. And they cast me as Demetrius, which was like a guy role. But I was like, okay, whatever. I'm a tomboy. I can play a guy. And... Did you want to be Hermia or Helena? <laughs> yeah, probably not. No. <laughs> Did not you want to be Puck? 
Puck was a really good role, but there See, was a really you, funny. <laughs> you have that spark where I feel like you. I didn't want to say it when you said Midsummer Night's Dream, but immediately I was like, Puck. Thank that you. That would be such a great role for what you. What a compliment. Well, no, this really funny boy who isn't a performer at all anymore played Puck. So I really just got into Demetrius. And when we performed, <laughs> I got a lot of great feedback. And I was like, wow, I like being on stage. And, you know, I was primarily writing just short stories and stuff like that beforehand. And then got the acting bug and got the writing plays bug. And my mom really encouraged that. And so by the time I moved to L.A., because I was like fifth grade, um, and I moved to L.A. in sixth grade, I was like, oh, I'm going to Hollywood land so I can be a real writer and maybe an actress. And that was not the case. So what happened when you got to L.A.? I mean, I was writing. I went to a live taping of Moesha, which was like the coolest Moesha. thing in the world to me. It was like sitting in the audience trying to laugh super loud so that you're... you're the camera laughing. finds you. Yes. <laughs> and I got... I bet you picked your outfit very carefully oh my gosh. that day. I was trying to get discovered that day. I was. I wanted to meet Brandy, but it, that didn't happen. But I did get like a, a script of that episode. Like It was a pink script. I want to say that I want it. And I was like, wow, I have a real episodic script in my hand. And this is basically like a template for me to write my own TV shows. And so I wrote like an episode of Moesha. I wrote an episode of like the new Cosby show. And I wrote like my own original um, television show and tried to submit it, you know, just like the naivete of being a, a 12 year old. Like, looked up the end. So you were 12. Addresses. When you were saying this, I was thinking, maybe she's 18, 19. No, so you're 12 and trying to submit yeah, your episodes. Yeah, I was. I so was. where were you submitting them? I looked up the addresses for, like, NBC and ABC. And that is impressive. Just sent them to, like, CEOs. Just to had no idea. And, you know, some of the networks wrote me back. And they said, did? Yes. They said, we don't take unsolicited scripts. <laughs> and so then I was like, uh, okay, well, I guess I'll just go to school then. I'll just go to seventh grade then. Yeah, basically. Just I, continue on this trajectory. Yeah, and and forgot about it for a minute. For a minute. So you're on this path. You desperately want this. You go to Stanford. Um, your YouTube series becomes a massive hit. And I think that's an interesting thing because without YouTube, without these platforms that exist now, again, when you were 12, you were trying to get to the CEOs. It's a very different world now. These platforms open up the stage to yeah. women like yourself and anyone out there with a really good idea, it can catch. Yeah, I mean, it really leveled the playing field. You know, going in college, I did try to break in again to the industry through contests, through, contest, through, you know, meeting with meetings with executives, um, through networking. And there was just, there was nothing that really caught on for me until I started creating content online. And I created two other web series before my third web series, you know, took off. And for me, it really just showed me the value in in having a specific voice and tapping into a very specific audience and having an audience at my fingertips, which I was yes. like, there was there was no middle person. There was no one I had to go through to get my work seen or to actually legitimize what I was doing. The series, the final one that got all of the awards, Awkward Black Girl, yes. your series on YouTube, which is hilarious. Thank if, you. if you haven't, for people out there who haven't seen it yet, you should check that out in addition to Insecure. But I think you bring up a really good point and it's such an important lesson. And it, this happens now all the time. You see really successful people like yourself and people don't recognize the hustle and the number of no's and the number of things that are really high quality 
but don't get attention, yeah. that don't get the critical acclaim. I mean, I think it's just, it's always when preparation meets opportunity for me. Like you can be working, working, working and do great work. But at the end of the day, if you don't have somewhere to receive, someone or somewhere to receive it, then it's kind of off or not and you can get discouraged. But I'm just all about timing and for me, I could have given up after that second web series because I was frustrated and I spent a lot of time like, these guys are good. Why is nobody watching this? We're putting quality work into it. And it wasn't until, you know, on a whim, I was like, well, let me just try this other series and I'll put myself in it, that it caught on. And it was really the most personal thing to me. And that's what, you know, appealed to people. What kept you going? I really, really wanted to do this. I really wanted to be a writer. I really wanted to be, you know, in the entertainment industry. I felt like, you know, I was good at it and I had ideas and I loved it. I couldn't see myself doing anything else. And yeah, I had other jobs and I was good at those jobs to an extent, you know. What I were some of the other jobs? Um, I worked in, not, in the nonprofit world. Right. Um, I would worked as, uh, I worked for a museum you know, for, for a while, and it was just not what I wanted to do. And I just couldn't picture my life <laughs> and happily living my life not doing what I love and not having, like, actively pursued what I love. I think another thing you said that really strikes me is this idea of tapping into you. Like, people will say this all the time, really successful people. It's the moment that you stop listening to what other people outside are saying, well, you should be this way or you should do it this way because this is the way that's hot right now or selling right now. And instead you're like, no, I'm going to look at it differently. I'm going to look at it from the standpoint of what is unique about me? What is my voice? And I'm going to 100% own that and do that and speak to that community of other people who feel that voice too. Absolutely. And I think for a while I was doing that. I was like, you know, What's hot right now? What do people want to see? Um, what do I feel like I can write as opposed to what do I want to see? And what do, what is it about me that makes me special? What is it about my voice that makes me very specific and very unique? And once I tapped into that, things started changing rapidly. And I think that's, you know, I always say that your individuality is such a currency because it makes mm-hmm. you, you know, rich. It makes you you. And, um, in all of my work now, I just try to tap into everything that makes me me. Mm-hmm. It reminds me, so you said, like, what's missing out there that I would want to consume? It reminds me of the uh, the Childish Gambino song, Firefly, where he's like, no, I, I want this music. I love Childish Gambino, me but too. he's like, I was looking for this music, and it wasn't there. Yeah. So I needed to create it. Completely. And now look at him. <laughs> It kind of worked out. It kind of worked out. It worked out in every way. And he actually was one of my earlier influences, just watching what he he did back in 2008, um, you know, with his comedy troupe and seeing him grow online really inspired me to to try it again, you know, and to pursue it. So um, props to Donald Glover. Seriously. What a talent. When you look back on all of this at this moment, what's been the toughest lesson to learn? I think the toughest lesson that I've now, I'm, I'm super cognizant of, is just valuing the people around you and making sure that you're growing together and that, you know, it's not necessarily all about you. When we have team members that you have to make sure that they're happy 
and they're being fulfilled in in the same way that you are and to check in and to make sure that no one's kind of falling behind and that you're not just using people without providing you know some sort of service for them to achieve their goals as well i think that applies in so many ways people on your way up in your career that applies no matter what your career is if you're building a company that applies thinking about the people everybody the people are so important um, in addition to the mission that you are personally and individually on. A hundred percent. What's been your biggest pitfall so far? Um, there have just been so many. I mean, this is such an industry of ups and downs. And um, I remember just investing all of my money in one particular project during a time where I thought the HBO show would, would happen. Mm-hmm. And... Just it was it was coming from a place of frustration and a place of impulsiveness, but belief at the end of the day. And I got I remember getting the call that I didn't the show wasn't going to go this this year, and that I was on set for this particular project that I had invested all my money in. And getting that call of like, what happened? You spent all of your money. We didn't know that this is the direction that you were going in. Where are you going to go from here? And just feeling like, where am I? What did I just do? And what's going to happen now? Now I have no money and I have no show. I basically have to start all over again. Um, but, you know, things always work out and was able to really get pressed for that particular project and get people to rally behind it and knocked out another draft of the HBO show, which ultimately got picked up and, and things sort of just went up from there. So it almost sounds like it made the success of that project more imperative to you. So you doubled down and made sure you got everything you could get out of that project. Yeah, I had to. Uh, There was just no other option at that point. What does it take to get a show on HBO? It takes a lot of, um, (laughs) I mean, it takes patience, specificity, and you really just got to believe in yourself. You have to believe that you're kind of meant to do this. And um, the, the execs there are so smart and they don't take on many shows a year. You know, they, they might buy shows, but they don't put a lot of shows on air at all. So, um, yeah, you just really have to be confident in what you're doing. You gave a great productivity tip about surrounding yourself with people. That's like people who have different skills to oh, your yeah. own. Talk Absolutely. about that. Yeah, I always like to work with people who are better than me and who are skilled in areas where I'm weak. You know, but then uh, to that end, you have to know where your strengths are. So you're not just like, hey, I'm just going to suck all the great people's talent. (laughs) Um, You have to offer something in return. So for me, I'm all about working with people who are smarter than me in certain areas so I can learn from them and um, really just building my my own skill set that way. Final question. Worst advice you've received in your career? Oh, I mean, the worst advice that I received was... um, to do it the traditional way. Just do it the traditional way. Nobody's checking for, <laughs> no one's checking for internet shows. No one's checking for, you know, um, web series. So just write a traditional spec script, send it to someone, send it to an agent, and you'll break in the industry that way. And Worth what do you it. think would have happened if you had gone that path? I wouldn't be where I am now. Issa Rae, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur. Adriana Eppelboim-Levy is the founder of Alapil, a woman's footwear designer brand that fuses architecture with shoe design. Such a cool idea. 
Adriana moved to the U.S. from Venezuela with her family when she was a teenager and went on to get her architecture degree from Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. In addition to pursuing her career as an architect, working for various architecture firms, she started to pursue another lifelong dream of designing shoes. So in 2014, she launched a Pill. And since then, her designs have been featured on the runways of Paris Haute Couture, New York Fashion Week, and Art Basel. Adriana was nominated by her Aleppo colleague and friend, Aileen Essayag. Thank you to both of you for being part of our No Limits community. Thanks for sending in your nominations. And remember, if you want to be featured as a No Limits entrepreneur, send us your nominations at no limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. That's no limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a review. It really does help get the word out. And don't forget, you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat at Rebecca Jarvis. Special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. Taylor Dunn, Michelle Bancardo, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Steve Jones, Annie Osakwe, and Elizabeth Hecht. And join me next Tuesday for an all-new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Until then, take care, be well. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.